And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. It is a great honor once again to welcome back to our show, legendary economic forecaster, pro-freedom advocate, and brilliant observer of history and human nature, Martin Armstrong. You learn more about Martin by going to his website at armstrongeconomics.com. Martin, Happy New Year. I know 2024 may be a little bit crazy based on some of your predictions, but I like to start things off on a positive note. Of all the things that you and your supercomputer, Socrates, have been predicting, is there one distinctive prediction that is actually pretty positive compared to all the darkness we appear to be walking into. Well, I think you have to understand there is a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> all right. And <clears throat> although, you know, this is becoming uh, the year from political hell, mm. there's so many elections. I mean, it's like everybody joined up for 2024, you know, um, and no matter where you look, from from Russia to Taiwan, I mean, it's not just the U.S. election. Then you have the EU, um, and it's it's going everywhere around the world. Um, so this is definitely the year from political hell. But it, it in the end of this, you know, they're they know they're losing power. They uh, use as as in the elites, the elites behind the people behind the curtain, or the uh, yeah or the they. I mean, this is why they're so desperate, you know, going after Trump and things of this nature. Uh, it it really shows how um, unnerving that this whole thing is to them. Rather than reform, uh, they just keep trying to, you know, you know, grind their heel into into the ants that that we that they see us to be. You know, it's uh uh. I mean, there's an, an easy solution out of this, but it means they lose some power and they don't want to hear that. Um, the direct that's, democracy? That's your problem. It, <clears throat> we, you know, they pretend we have a democracy, mm. but we're not asked about anything. You know, mm. um, like, you know, Biden signs the executive order to eliminate gas stoves. That that's not democracy. It should have been sent to to Congress. At least let Congress, you know, hear the pros and cons. Um, you know, it, pretty much everything. I mean, it, war. I mean, honestly, I mean, we have offices around the world. Mm. I can tell you, the, the average person in China doesn't want war any more than the American, and and the same thing is true in Russia. It's the leaders that always do this. Um, and they probably have stocks and defense uh, contracts. Yeah. I mean, um, I forget his name, but I think the oldest living, uh, veteran from world war one, 
uh, said, you know, I think it was 45 million people died. He said, we should have just locked all the leaders in or into a room, give them a gun and let them settle it. You know, be awesome. Um, and, and people don't realize you start promoting war and they make it sound as if it's a video game or uh, something along those lines. And more civilians die in war than, than soldiers. They don't ever want to address that. So what, you know, what is the average person, what do they gain out of this? Absolutely nothing. No. Um, a soldier is just lucky if he comes back unharmed. And then when he comes back, he's lucky if his family's still there. Uh, it, it's We get nothing out of this. And it, it's amazing to me out of thousands of years, you know, we always end up in the same position. I guess people can be propagandized. There's a phenomenal book by a gentleman, Chris Hedges, who talks about the realities of war. I highly recommend everyone read it because it really goes in and explores in details exactly what people should be aware of because they look at it as something cool and wonderful. But, you know, you said it best, you know, families get torn apart and they get completely destroyed. And I feel like all the time, if you look at the news or if you start, they, they were always being propagandized to hate certain people. And there's this like vicious push for war with Russia based on what your computer sees, based on what Socrates is seeing right now. Is World War Three inevitable? Are we going to probably see some type of Listana type event or false flag event, which triggers uh, the U.S. and the world at large to become engaged in what probably will be the final war? Most likely, yes. And and yeah. what you have to understand is um the real driving force is economics. Okay. Uh, there is uh, no way we're coming out of this hole. Um, they've been borrowing year after year since World War II uh, with no intention of ever paying anything back. And, and and that's why, you know, I'm against these people. They think, oh, we'll just go to a gold standard. They don't understand what that even means. You know, you go to a gold standard, that means you can no longer have socialism. You know, you can't spend the deficit, you know. Okay. So you're you're talking about having you know having to change the entire political system. All right. So it's much more than just, oh, let's do, you know, change the money to gold or something like that. That sounds very simplistic. Uh, but we're talking about having to actually go through pretty much what Russia and China went through. Uh, there they they finally came to the realization that Marxism, you know, failed. Uh, and we're going through the same thing. Now, this is our version of Marxism, uh, perpetual deficits and socialism and things of this nature uh, is going to fail. And when you say fail, are we looking, are we, is the exclamation point on the failure a point where inflation becomes so high that even basic necessities are people can't even buy. They did this report. It was kind of interesting. There's a film came out in 1990 called home alone, where this kid went to a grocery store. He bought all those groceries and it was $19 and they did the inflation calculation for the day. And the same groceries would be $70. So mm -hmm. is that point where we, where America finally realizes collectively speaking, doesn't matter where you are, that it has failed 
when the dollar no longer can provide the basic necessities when inflation is too high, maybe not necessarily hyperinflation, but to the point where even basic necessities such as toothbrushes, such as basic food becomes unattainable for the majority of the population. Well, that's part of it, but that's only a side effect. Okay. Um, it, what you're really looking at here is the inability of government to, to fund itself. I mean, so this is why there, you know, you have, uh, you had Janet Yellen going after uh, $600 transactions on eBay. And mm -hmm. the next words out of her mouth was, well, we're going after the rich. You know, I don't think Elon Musk is selling a bike on eBay for $600, you know. Um, it, but this is what they keep selling it as going after the rich. All right. When when income tax was put in, they swore nobody was going to have to pay it but the rich. All right. Then mm -hmm. World War Two came in and that, well, we're giving you Social Security and uh, the whole new deal is so we have to have payroll taxes, you know, and it, it's just endless. This whole CBDC stuff is basically to eliminate paper money. Because, you know, you and your wife hired the 16-year-old girl next door to watch the kids while you went out to dinner. Oh, my God, you gave her $20? Where's her taxes? You know, this is the way they these people look at it. Is that the transition? Is that what they're going to look like if they if when um, they pronounce so much money? I, I don't understand why anyone needs to ever be first. I think all taxation is theft, even the basic scale, even if it's one penny. But the fact that they can print money out of thin air, why do people have to pay taxes? And also, if you have all this debt, deficit, where, I mean, do they make that, is that the only way they can make a, a transition to further communism and Marxism by doing central bank digital currencies? Is that the only way that they can actually see the system continuing or does that's, the system fail without the central bank digital currency? Well, it's failing anyhow. So that's okay. that's a solution to try and prevent it, which will not work. Um okay. You know, people uh, effectively, they, you know, a lot of people are out there always blaming the Fed. Oh, they can print money. Mm -hmm. It's not the Fed. All right. It's <clears throat> what you have to understand. It's it's Congress. It's the debt because the debt basically is simply money that pays interest. All right. So uh, the Fed has no control over that. Uh, the Fed basically is in charge of the of you know the physical paper money, which they're eliminating. You know, but it's it's such a minimal proportion of the total money supply, it it's it's crazy. And <clears throat> before 1971, you could you could not borrow against government debt because there the, you know they realized okay, the reason you borrow because it would be less inflationary, because it wasn't creating money. So therefore, it was illegal for a bank to lend you money on like an e-bond. Now, they, they you know, basically got rid of all that. So if you want to trade futures, you can, you know, buy T-bills and post it as collateral. So it's debt is money now. It's just money that pays interest. So, it you know, people keep looking at the Federal Reserve. That, they are the, the minority in this whole problem. And... I think you have to understand uh, <clears throat> the last time the Fed broke with uh, the White House was 1951. Um, the Fed had gone along 
and and capped interest rates and agreed to buy bonds if the interest rate exceeded a certain level during World War II to be patriotic. Then the Korean War was coming and the Fed, you know, White House wanted them to continue that. And he said, forget it. We're not going to continue this policy. Uh, it was basically, you know, talking about quantitative easing back then. Uh, and so the Fed broke and refused to to go follow and do what the White House said. And Powell just came out, you know, um, a couple of months ago, the beginning of December. And I mean, I've dealt with central banks from uh, China to the Middle East. And I can tell you, they do they do not criticize their host government and they will not criticize each other. All right. Um, and I've been in meetings with the whole boards around the world. All right. When Powell came out and said <clears throat> he criticized the Biden administration, he said this spending is, quote, unsustainable. All right. That was like a shot across the bow. All right. That's the first time a central bank has come publicly to criticize the current administration. They don't do that. So when Powell said that, I can tell you because I talked to all of these central yeah. banks. They are scared. Well, what are they initially scared of? And also, if they are taking money and printing it out of thin air and debt is being created, who is that debt necessarily owed to? If everyone's drowning in debt, who is it owed to? And could the Nessus, could everyone just decide, look, we're going to cancel the debt? Well, this right. is the this is the problem. Um, you, The Biden administration is a complete disaster. You have these different groups and they don't coordinate. So you have the climate change people who are only concerned about that and let's eliminate gas stoves and all this kind of crazy stuff. Then you have the neocons. Um, you know, you have what you know, they call the queen of the neocons, Victoria Newland, yeah. And she's been, you know, this is not Republican or Democrat. She's been in absolutely every administration except for Trump. Trump fired them, all right? But she's back in there again. Uh, and <clears throat> all they want to do is create war. They hate Russia and they hate China. And I think it's largely because it all began that they were against communism. When Khrushchev said, we will bury you, you know, they said, well, yeah. we'll show you we're going to make uh, democracy around the world. But of course, their version of democracy is not democracy. It's It's totalitarianism but um so my opinion i and i've met some of these people and been in conversations eye to eye um the, their thinking process is quite deranged uh My you bad. know they honestly thought that if you go into the middle east you take out like saddam hussein and gaddafi and <clears throat> we'll, we'll be bringing democracy to the middle east and they really thought um, that the people give them like a, a ticker tape parade and say, oh, thank you for saving us. <laughs> you know, and, and I hear the same nonsense being talked about Russia. Uh, Who's so, got an 80% approval rating? Um, people exactly. are saying yeah. You know, and the Russians are not stupid. When all this hatred of Russia, they what the downside when you start attacking uh, like Putin, 
Um, it, it's always they do this in everything. They did that with Saddam Hussein. Uh, they, they demonized the head of state. They did it with Trump. All right. And the downside of that is that that is then attached to everybody in the country. So it's all Russians. Um, it's not just Putin. You know, uh, so you, <clears throat> when you start down that path, I mean, you had Hillary coming out when when Trump won and oh, the everybody that voted for him was a deplorable. You know, you just, you know, insulted half the country. Um, you know, these are dangerous propaganda schemes. And, you know, we have to understand that you have these neocons like bashing China over Taiwan. Well, China happens to be, um, or at least was, I have to check the latest numbers, but uh, the largest holder of U.S. debt. So you're asking, how does this happen? All the defaults in history are when you're running these Ponzi schemes, you're issuing new debt to pay off the old. Mm. What it brings it all down is not inflation or something like that. Um, it's when you can no longer sell the new debt to pay the off the old. Okay. When that happens, how do people domestically get impacted? So say, for example, if China no longer acquires any U.S. debt. And say, for example, the, the Federal Reserve, can it come to a point where the Federal Reserve is no longer able to monetize the amount of debt on there? Well, they won't. That's, that's oh, the whole issue. Um, so what does that mean for people who have dollars? Does that mean that their their currency becomes a lot less worth? Or do we, do we hit a hyperinflationary well, The interest rates event? are going to go higher. Okay. Um, is it hyperinflation you know, too? The rates actually rise because they can't sell it. So they okay. have to raise the rates and, and the Federal Reserve can only uh, control the short-term rate. It doesn't control the long-term. That's what quantitative easing was about. It would go in and buy the long-term um, excess debt that was in the market to try and reduce that interest rate. So long-term rates, the Fed can only do indirectly. Yeah. All right. So that's really what quantitative easing is about. So the, the problem is, is that um, the Fed is independent, all right? And they're not going to just, on a wholesale basis, start buying in all the debt that they can't sell to anybody else. Um, and so that's where this whole thing starts to come apart. And it's also why they need war. So um, war kind of what kicks the can down the road is, is I thought that... Does that kick the can and also provide these uh, defense industries a way for them to continue to make money until the the whole thing goes bust? Well, it, I mean, they make money, but it's not the majority. Okay. The majority of it is that you end up defaulting. Um, and it's the excuse to default. Then they blame the default. Oh, see, it was Putin. Um, I mean, when inflation started going up, they were calling it Putin's inflation. You know, uh, I mean, this whole inflation started because of COVID. You created shortages, you know, and um, <clears throat> even Powell, uh, when he was raising rates, he he say, came out and actually said, he said, look, and, and people, you know, just kind of ignore it. But he said, look, uh, raising rates is not going to, one, cure COVID mm. or two, stop the shortages. 
you know, people didn't really pay too much attention to that. They do know there's are there are limits. And so by him coming out and saying this is unsustainable, he is talking to the fiscal budget side. All right. Mm-hmm. And that is telling you the the Fed is going to be breaking with the White House as they did in 51. Um and so if they they break and their interest rates go up high. I mean, to the average person, what can the average person expect? Does it mean that they'll just be have a lot harder time um, getting cars, getting houses? Does their currency that they, dollars that they hold will they continue to depreciate rapidly in value? Because I know we've, we've talked in the past. Uh, you know, some of the people who are really passionate about gold, silver, people like Peter Schiff, they're always talking about a hyperinflationary event where the dollar becomes completely worthless. There's this big economic calamity is that something even remotely close to what theoretically speaking could happen could we see an a place where we do have a hyperinflation event even for the short term or are we just going to see is, is it these higher interest rates as results of this reckless fiscal policy going to make it next to impossible to conduct business in terms of houses in terms of mortgages in terms of other things yeah the the interest rates will go up i mean yeah. the um the likelihood of the United States going into a hyperinflation is about zero. Uh, They don't understand. uh, If you look at all the hyperinflationary scenarios, you take Germany, for example, what really set it off was that they couldn't make the reparation payments. And in December, 1922, they confiscated 10% of everybody's assets. All right. Then the hyperinflation starts in 23. You know, if if they took 10 percent of everybody's you know bank accounts today, that would result in the same thing that you suddenly wouldn't trust, you know, government for anything. But the hyperinflation was possible because there were alternative currencies to go to. All right. Today, that's not the case. The United States is probably the best one, you know, um, the best looking one of the three three ugly sisters, as they say. Um, (laughs) You know, Europe is is worse than the United States. Um, Japan is still with the negative interest rates and 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 really in in a desperate you know position. China is not doing so well with its its problem. the only one that's actually seems to be doing better is actually Russia right now. <laughs> but, um, Ironic, right? It's, I mean, even the the stupidity of the sanctions that they put on Russia, it just shows how these people don't understand what's going on. Um, when they when they did that, um, they didn't realize most of the fertilizer came from Russia. Mm. Things <laughs> they just don't look. Yeah. And then what happened uh, was that um, they really ended up sending a warning signal to all the other countries. You either do what we say or we're going to remove you from SWIFT. All right. So all of a sudden, what did you end up with? China had its alternative to SWIFT, its chip system, and started moving at light speed to bring it in line. Iran did the same thing. So all they accomplished with the the sanctions against Russia was to divide the world economy. So we're not going back to a global economy as we used to have. Um, 
you know, you've you've split it and then you're you're forcing countries to uh, be part of two systems or, you know, choose one over, over the other. Um, are any of those two systems more, uh, let's say, uh, catering towards people who are pro-freedom? Is there, are there any particular, are both systems kind of locked, locked down? Is there any benefits of going to one or the other? Um, not yet, okay. but there probably will be. Uh, when you're looking at the CBDC stuff, um, oh. I would recommend that you, you take a look uh, at, at Nigeria. Most people don't know, but uh, <clears throat> when the, the neocons basically had Ukraine blow up uh, Nord Stream. Um, <clears throat> for Europe to keep quiet, they promised them a pipeline from Nigeria <clears throat> to replace Russia. All right. So the, we were paying for this pipeline to go all the way through. Then there was, a, and it was supposed to go through the country of Niger. Then all of a sudden there was a coup there in Niger. And Victoria Newland hopped on a plane to go over because it was stopping the pipeline. Okay. <clears throat> they promised Nigeria, we're going to, you know, make you the, the energy source for Europe. And in return, Nigeria was the first country to bring in CBDCs. They created the, the, their digital currency. They eliminated cash and, you can look Google all the articles from there. I mean, it people were burning banks and and I mean it total civil unrest, uh, a complete disaster. And the excuse that I was told um, by Europeans, oh well, the only reason that happened was because they were sixty percent of a cash society. We're not that big. We're we're about fifteen percent cash. So, so they always try to distinguish things. But if you look at what happened in Nigeria when they did that, um, you're eliminating cash there. I mean, how are you, you know, you see somebody on the side of a road when you're stopped at a red light, gee, you know, I'm homeless, whatever. How you give them money? Do you, do you take visa? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so much which is going to change. So looking at Nigeria, I mean, is that, give you kind of a clear idea that it probably will fail worldwide because i look at the uh these uh cars they're running on batteries electronic electric cars and i will never buy one of those and i know a lot of people won't because you know as soon as you have a hurricane as soon as the power goes out you know can't really drive your car so i i do wonder if uh, what you just said about this country and the fact that you know electricity can fail and the fact that maybe a lot of people don't want to live under this totalitarian surveillance of central bank digital currency does that give you any kind of hope that it will fail worldwide? Or do you think that some countries will be successful implementing it? And if so, which countries do you think are most likely to implement the central bank digital currency? Well, I think, you know, the um, U.S. is definitely going to try. Europe will probably um, be more gung-ho on it because they are uh, – Europe has got uh, – a much more serious situation with their banks than, than the United States um, because they went to negative interest rates in 2014 and left them there for nine years. And then a bank has to have government bonds as its reserve uh, currency for, you know, for it to be solvent. So basically the reserves of, of European banks, they've lost 30 to 40%. 
um, as interest rates go up, these bonds are are terrible. I mean, that's what happened to SVB Bank in California. They invested long term and then rates went up and then you lose. Um, but I mean, the whole electric car thing is is just complete nonsense. It's more than that. What you're talking about with the hurricanes mm. um, in Oslo, it got so cold, electric engines shut down. They all the buses that they put in with electric uh. they didn't work. Um, you know, there there's a there is no you know this climate change nonsense. There's just no evidence that shows that they're even correct. Um, and, oh well, well it's it's warming from the mid 1800s, so therefore it was the industrial revolution. Therefore, it must be fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, we're in the middle, you know, we had many ice age, uh, which bottomed in, in the late 1600s. Uh, you have letters from John Adams saying the ground was frozen two feet deep. We couldn't even grow crops. And that was late 1700s. We didn't start warming up until after 1850. And it had nothing to do with, with you know, industrial revolution. It's just a natural human, you know, cycle that's been going on for millions of years. You know, that's we good. get warm, then we get cold, and we get warm, then we mm-hmm. get cold. Um, it's like night and day. That that's that's it. I remember reading an article on your, your site about the sunspots, about how that uh, I guess when the sun heats up, but the, but the climate does actually do change, but not a result of humanity, but a result of the, the temperatures getting hotter and colder. It does actually affect civilization. And just from what you can see right now, do you see the, the climate change, the, the thing that they're pushing out as a means of just like, hey, well, we're, they're going to push this out as a way of trying to uh, push the central bank digital currencies as a means of trying to push for the one world government. Do you think that all these things like between World War Three, between central bank digital currencies, between climate change, they're all part of a collaborative effort to get humanity clamped down on our one world government rule? Yeah, I mean, it's... Um... That's basically what Klaus Schwab has been pushing. Mm. Um, and this idea, and, and even Soros is behind it, you know, no borders, open society, all this nonsense. Mm. Um, and um, the UN is the one, you know, they had that big climate change, uh, you know, <clears throat> movement there and everybody got together. They they ref- they would not allow anybody that, that criticized it to even speak. I mean, so so much for democracy. But uh, <clears throat> the UN, from day one, it has always had this idea that the way to prevent war is that there would be one government. Uh, and <clears throat> look, all you have—if you understand history—look at Rome. Hmm. I mean, fine, there was one government. How many civil wars did they have? <laughs> you know, <Tons. laughs> uh, it it doesn't. One government doesn't solve it. Um, <clears throat> And I, I've put on a, a, a video of uh, the former French president, Holland, sitting next to Merkel. And they admitted that was exact theory that why they created the EU, to eliminate European wars. Um, and you go over there and when <clears throat> Merkel was against Germany, they're dressed up as Nazis protesting the Germans, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, the memories there go back a long time. <clears throat> I've said before I was, you know, I had been called in by Yugoslavia and before everything broke up and I was meeting with the government and I got there and they said, oh, well, you know, they killed 600 of us and threw us in a, in a common grave. And I thought 
I just missed something on the news. I said, really? I said, when did that happen? Oh, about six, 700 years ago. I said, oh, yes, that one. Okay. You know, they remember things in, in Europe for a very, very long time. Um, so um, that's where, I, you know, I <clears throat> when the EU came to us and they were forming, you know, in this euro currency, et cetera, I warned them this was not going to, work unless you consolidate all the debts but they didn't want to do that and i i explained i said what made the united states work was discrimination they said oh what do you mean i said whoever was the last one off the boat you didn't get a job until you spoke english all right so you ask an american what are you and they go well i'm half spanish half german or irish and and, and italian or whatever i said once everybody spoke the same language then intermarriage took place you don't see somebody from Scotland going down and marrying somebody from Sicily. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's well, language is a lot. Well, speaking of that, I want to just mention something about how people came to America years ago and they were all speaking the same language. Now in the U.S., it seems that there is totally open borders. So from what you see and what, what Socrates is predicting, do you foresee or does Socrates foresee an increase of domestic terror attacks because of that, or do we are we going to see massive civil unrest because the culture is changing so dramatically? It's I mean I think it's one thing if if you allow people to come to your country legally and they go through a process and they have to you know know your laws when these people are just kind of coming through the border and they're they're getting money and they're getting cell phones they're treated better than veterans and some senior citizens. So because there's so many coming in such a short period of time. What impact do you think that will have, not only on the U.S., but other countries? My understanding is that Ireland is overrun with people that have come in dramatically, have seen an increase in immigrants dramatically. Europe's having a lot of people like that. So where does this all lead, at least for the U.S.? Well, it's um, eventually we're looking at separatist movements working. Um, and civil unrest is going to take place uh it's going to start rising quite dramatically uh, next year, particularly after these elections. Um, okay. uh, even when you look at in in London, you have a lot of people that came there from India. All right. And um, actually, one of the best number one foods in, in London is Indian food. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> they had to be able to speak English. They had to have a... a um, you know, some sort of a trade. Most of them were, you know, in the medical field, doctors, etc. And they were very resentful of all these Muslims that were just becoming in. They didn't have to speak any, you know, any English and they didn't have to have a career. That's why Brexit, they voted for Brexit uh, to stop the, the onslaught of people coming in. And you have that problem throughout Europe. Um, you, you go to Sweden and there's some areas you just can't go to. Uh, and they said, oh, Shira law works here. You know, it, you know, the, the old immigrants that came here, they came here for an op- opportunity. All right. Whereas the immigrants that seem to be coming in in the United States and in Europe, they're, they're just bringing their culture with them. So, um, you know, Germany actually put out a, a booklet, you know, trying to explain that, you know, don't go touching, uh, you know, German girls. You know, that's not acceptable here. You know, um, it's 
this is what what you're looking at. It, it, it's really um, it's one thing to go to another country and you then absorb that culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't go to Rome and say, okay, fine, no, you can't do this this way. I do it this way, and you you have to obey the laws in each country. Um, you don't change their law to match what you think should be should be it, and and that's the problem. So um, most of the people coming in from South America uh, are just coming for the free lunch, and they are fleeing, you know, co- you know, basically the collapse of of uh, socialism in South America that's taking place. Um, so well, they're coming here. If they're fleeing they're, that, wouldn't that be a positive thing for the U.S. though? I mean, if they're fleeing communism and they're they're fleeing socialist policies, I figure that they're coming here for when they want them to say, look, we can't have this. We're just fleeing. No, it's it. the opposite. The, really? the socialism is dying there. So they're coming here for the free lunch. <sighs> um, I mean, these people are getting, you know, <clears throat> if you go on Social Security, you get maybe about $1,500 a month to start. They're giving them 2200 Ridiculous. I mean, where is this money coming from? That's I don't understand this whole idea. Like you, you, you have it's to the be... debt. They just keep making more and more debt. And the, the <clears throat> I can tell you that I've been told from the beginning of this. Uh, this is what the the Biden will issue an executive order, and he's going to grant these people citizenship, and it's all so they can vote in the twenty four election. Um, and. It's crazy. This is why our computer is basically showing that uh, the 2024 election is going to be a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people, they don't even want to talk about what really happened on January 6th. Um, and, and, you know, there I mean, I do have some videos that were sent to me showing me that there were black you know, guys in all black uh, outfits inside the Capitol when people were yelling at them that they were in, you know, and no, 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 we're, 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 we're not with them or whatever, you know, and they, by storming into the, the Capitol building, they were able to use that to uh, stop the, uh, the confirmation process. Mm -hmm. And then Pelosi came in, with um, emergency rules. There were at least two objections to the um, to the count. So once they put in the uh, the if even one of them was successful, Biden wouldn't be president. So what happened was by going to the emergency count, that was it. Mm-hmm. It shut down everything. And it was just certified. Um, that is <clears throat> kind of what they're doing with the with the at the WHO right now. They were supposed to have everybody who was going to object or whatever was supposed to be by January twenty seventh, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> oh, we're not going to be able to meet that deadline. So by May, you're shutting it off. Any objections? And May, they're just going to say yes, we have this power. So is this when the World Health uh, World Health Organization is going to decide uh, unilaterally to declare pandemics and all countries are going to have to what heed to their will? The, the Bill Gates funded. Uh, yes, um, it's there is Same. no enforcement mechanism. 
All right. But, you know, the Biden administration would say, oh, well, we have no choice. All right. Um, so, I mean, what are they going to do? Send in troops? You know, uh, they don't have any actual ability to force it. What would happen is that they can then say the U.N. imposes sanctions mm. uh, again. Uh, and say, okay, fine, your country will be removed from SWIFT, or we're going to put some sort of sanction on you unless you comply with whatever the WHO directs you to do. That's how it will operate. Um, so all of this is designed. And, um, you know, the 2020 election was just simply part of it. They had to get rid of Trump. And just look at all these charges against Trump and stuff. I mean, <clears throat> they are desperate, absolutely desperate. You have you have some of these states trying to remove him from uh, from the ballot. That's democracy. Uh, if if you want <clears throat> to really do it, then defeat him at the polls. Um, that's what should be done. But the people are trying to short circuit that. So. Mm-hmm. At the end, our computer is showing, I don't care who wins. It, neither side is going to accept it. Uh, so, And I also saw in your computer, too, I'm reading some of your articles, that we're looking at a uh, civil unrest in the U.S., maybe a uh, separation this year. I guess it was one of your target dates was May 7th. And one thing I'm really curious about, Martin, okay, you see you have the Democratic Party, you have the uh, Republican Party, and Trump – I mean, he never pardoned those people in, from the January 6th people. They, they're, they're still rotting away in a prison. And he was one of those individuals that had no problem making an executive order on gun control. And he was one of those people that, that still allowed this debt to continue. So when people say, OK, well, there's such a dramatic shift between him and Biden. Yeah, I think Trump kind of shoots from the hip. He seems like he's, uh, he's a different type of person. But a lot of these policies seem very similar. I mean, if, if there was a person, if Ron Paul was in the picture and you had Ron Paul um, doing things versus like a Biden or something else, I think they would see Ron Paul as a much uh, greater uh, threat to their power because Ron Paul is, is never changed. He's always been you know pro-liberty, pro-freedom, whereas Trump, I don't necessarily know if he's is as committed to those beliefs as people appear him to be. Do you find that based on what Socrates is saying – that the split within the U.S. is coming because uh, they believe in what Trump is doing? Or is it more along the lines of, okay, well, we have part of the country that is very pro-cultural Marxism. They're very they're actually heading towards communism. And you've got another section of the country that's like, you know what? We don't want to engage that kind of activity. We're very liberty. We, we want to be left alone. Is that the fundamental split? Where do you see it? Yes. And what you have to understand about Trump is – I was in Washington when Reagan was elected. And that was the first time I heard it. And they were like, oh, my God, we're going to have to train him. And I said, what do you mean you got to train him? Oh, you don't understand. He's a governor. They don't like anybody who's not from Washington. That's why they also don't like RFK. They don't want any outsider. All right. And it's less Republican versus Democrat. It, there is really a uniparty. Um, and so they would, you know, I, I'm I'm telling you, I mean, it was like you, you take the fake dossier that Hillary paid on Trump. OK, who handed it to Comey? It was John McCain mm. to make it look like it was also bipartisan. 
they don't want anybody from outside of Washington. It's like, you're not going to come here and play in our sandbox. You know, um, Trump maybe was naive in saying that he's going to drain the swamp or whatever. I don't think he realized the swamp is basically both sides. Yeah. You know, um, so it, it <clears throat> they probably would be more comfortable with Ron Paul because uh, he won't go certain, you know, completely rogue. Mm-hmm. Where uh, I think probably the best ticket would be Trump and, and RFK. <laughs> I mean, that would probably really. Um, they have a conflict because Trump was, was proud of the vaccine and RFK was completely against it. So I don't know if they would ever do it. And also you, RFK has got some have pauses. to realize yeah. that um, maybe Trump has seen the light since then. I mean, uh, but what I'm speaking from a standpoint of, is that a ticket with the two of them would drive Washington completely nuts. <laughs> be a little crazy. Um, Regardless well, of what the issues are. You know what I mean? It, it's just, it's more that they are against any outsider. And I don't care who it is. Um, I mean, that's what I have found, you know, working with uh, Washington and politicians for 40 some years. I mean, it's, that's really it. You don't come and play in our sandbox. Um what? just have one final question for you. And that is, I've loved going through your articles, not just the ones about your current times, but the history. I just love how passionate you are about history and how you go through and figure out cycles and when things occur and why certain things happen. And if you can think about some of the articles that you've written and you look at a fundamental paradigm shift in the world, a fundamental one where the, the kind of the rules were completely thrown out, what cycle do you think that is occurring on? Because we see that the book, The Fourth Turning, was talking about this period of time uh, where we're going to have massive societal upheaval. Is there a particular date that you particularly see where we're going to have a massive global or societal paradigm shift in the U.S.? Yeah, our computer shows that is 2032. Okay. Um, I mean, going through this, what we're going through right now, um, um, I mean, like what they're doing to Trump. Regardless if you're you're pro-Trump or, or against Trump, mm-hmm. once you do something like this, it becomes a precedent. Okay, so it, now you can do it against somebody else. Um, so once they have crossed that Rubicon, you're you're looking at government effectively <clears throat> is losing the confidence of the people. And so more and more people will begin to see this is all becoming completely nuts. Uh, And so that's a buildup to 2032. I mean, these, I would say the next eight years and and is going to be convincing the average person. You know, I mean, you you go to Starbucks and you see the younger generation Z and they just hold up Mm -hmm. their phone and pay. All right. They'll accept CBDCs. <laughs> uh, I saw your article about yeah, that. I, I mean, know. Uh, look, a friend of mine has a grandson who's like four years old, and he's telling him how to find what he saved on on Netflix. You know? <laughs> um, <clears throat> they're amazing, you know. But you, you, they have are growing up with this technology, so to them, it's not a big deal. What are you, what are you arguing about? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I was. In an airport, 
and there was an older guy before me trying to get his shoes off to go through the thing and and a girl maybe in her uh, you know 20s behind me oh god he doesn't know you have to do that you know and i felt like turning around honey we didn't have to do this 10 years no. ago you know no. um but it so that's the problem you know it's things are changing uh, rapidly and eventually between here and 2032 the average person is going to see this is not changing for the better you're going to have uh <clears throat> less liberty uh they're going to control absolutely everything that's what the cbdc's are about can we it's, escape that oh we just is that inevitable <clears throat> it's inevitable that they're going to try because they have no choice okay uh they can't continue this funding uh, you're bashing China, and so if China stops buying, who's going to buy it? Mm. If you can't sell it, you've got you've got an economic crisis on your hands. Um, then interest rates go up; that takes down more banks. The whole thing just ends up being—it's you know, one excuse after the other, but it's a set of dominoes. So once you push the first one over, you know they're all going down. Mm. Well, have you said? Mr. Martin Armstrong, thank you so much for joining us again today for another uh, riveting interview and one of the most popular uh, guests that our listeners request on a regular basis. And we'd love having you. A little more about Martin by going to his website at armstrongeconomics.com. Highly recommend you read his blog, sign up for the private blog too. I love those as well. Uh, Very fascinating information, Martin. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guest, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Constance Dallas, and our associate producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. And till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace love, and beers. Take good care and thank you so much for listening.